Continuing in this series, part three of Certain Truth, looking at the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be in Luke chapter five. Now, this is the time of year that the bandwagons start rolling, right? We're three weeks away from Super Bowl, and um, some of us now start paying attention to what's going on. Go Seahawks. All right? Drives the regular fans crazy. The people like me suddenly act like we're interested. Um, drives you nuts. Some, some folks stayed home this morning, I'm pretty sure, to watch the Dallas and Green Bay game. Um, maybe you're streaming it on your phone right now. Um, <laughs> you think you're discreet, but I know who you are. So. Well, we've talked about this before, that there's a difference between uh, being, you know, being a true fan. Now, remember the word fan is just comes from fanatic. Oh, boots. I see on your tablet there. What's the score? Oh. That's okay. The game doesn't start for another five minutes. It's all right. So, um, we've talked about this before, but there's a difference between somebody who's a true fan, fan is short for fanatic, right? And someone who's just a, a, you know, a spectator, a casual observer, and who just you know, sort of shows up for the big games. It's true in sports. It's more true in faith. Uh, lots of people like Jesus. They like the idea of Jesus. They think Jesus is, is, is cool or he's a good person or he's a, a good teacher or he had something worthwhile to say. You cannot deny the fact that all of our history is somehow hinged on this person of Jesus. Our calendar is dated from his birth. I mean, there's all these things about Jesus that whether or not you're a believer, I mean, even an atheist might say, well, Jesus had some cool things to say, right? But there's a much smaller number of people who are followers of Jesus, who aren't just sort of casual fans, they're followers of him. And I think the casual fan of Jesus is missing out. I've been there, maybe you have too, it's just not fun. Um, it's, it's a lukewarm, mediocre place to be. So what does it take then to move from being sort of a casual observer to a, to a fully devoted fan, a follower of Jesus? Well, we're going to see it in this chapter 5 of Luke today as this guy named Simon Peter experiences, goes through this transition. And uh, throughout the passage, you're, you're going to see that um, we're talking about Simon Peter. Sometimes we call him Simon, sometimes we call him Peter, but it's the same guy. So we want you to understand that. So if you've got your Bible and if you've found Luke 5 already, that's great. If you haven't, um, let's get there quickly. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Um, Bible app is another great thing to use. Let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. I'm going to read the first 11 verses of Luke chapter 5. Always remember the big number is the chapter and the small number is the verse. So we're starting at Luke 5, verse 1. It says, One day, as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, or yours might say Genesaret, it's just another name for the same place, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the Word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. Pretty, pretty um, astute thing to do when you, you've, if you've ever been on a lake on a morning, you know that somebody might be way out on the lake in the water, but you can hear their conversation clearly because there's great acoustic properties of the water. So that's what Jesus is doing here. He's getting a little distance from the people, but he's letting the acoustics of the, of the lake bring Caria's voice up. 
Verse 4. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out where it's deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, We worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time, their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. Verse 8. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. And his partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. And Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. Thank the Lord for his word. Let's take a seat together. If you go back into the previous chapter, you'll see that leading up to this encounter, Simon Peter had already been around Jesus. He'd, he'd seen miracles. He'd seen demonic deliverances. He'd, um, you know, Jesus had been at Simon's house and healed Simon's mother-in-law of a, of a fever. She was sick. Jesus healed her. Um, and that, that was a, a good thing. And uh, so Peter had been with Jesus, but it, it appears that it was something of a, kind of a casual friendship to this point. And then this happens. This event takes place. So you need to imagine the scenario. These experienced fishermen, right, who had been out all night fishing because that's what they did. So you, you fish all night and then in the morning you show up in the market with your, with your fish and they'd been skunked, right? Nothing. Not a, not a fish in the nets. And so they're back on the shore. They're cleaning their nets. They're mending them, perhaps. Well, in this case, they wouldn't have even needed to be mended. But Jesus is talking, right? But you can just see them. They're over here. Jesus is talking. They're sitting here cleaning their nets, right? I, I'm not sure they're really listening to Jesus. I mean, put yourself in that scenario. What would you be thinking? Oh, man, there's man, no fish to take to the market today, which means there's no income today. And... Oh, I got to go home and tell my my family that, and I'm tired. And man, why didn't we catch anything anyway? Went to that same usual spot that always gets. Oh man, what what could possibly be wrong? Maybe it's John's fault because he wanted us to to try new this new technique. And and man, I'm tired, and I can hardly take a nap. And oh, I got to go back out tonight again. You can just imagine this is all going through their mind, and Jesus is talking over here, right? This is a. This is a actual, this is from the Sea of Galilee. It's a, what they call the Jesus boat. It's a, a replica of a first century boat that was found and, and rebuilt. So something like that is what we're talking about here. And then Jesus is somehow going to use this moment to get Simon's attention. So now he steps into the boat, right? Hey, Simon, take me out of ways. And so now Simon is trapped, sitting in the boat, right? Tired. He's possibly bored, right? I'm not sure that he really wants to be there. Not all that interested, but he's trapped with Jesus on the boat. Finally, Jesus finished his sermon. But instead of wrapping up so that Simon can go home for a nap, he says, hey, now let's go back out fishing. Oh, Master, we have been out all night. We didn't care. But if you say so, you know, um, Jesus is there in the boat with him. I, I really think... That's indicated there in the text. And so Peter knows that even doesn't want to, when Jesus says something, it's best just to follow and do it. And sure enough, they go. 
Now, what's Jesus up to? Well, he's getting himself closer to Simon Peter. He's drawing in near. He's going to meet Simon in a way that makes sense to Simon Peter. Right? Here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus is willing to be on your boat. Jesus is willing to meet you on your boat. It's about getting personal with Jesus. The Lord is not interested right, in, com- in creating nice, compliant, religious people. Not at all. See, if my goal is simply to be an, an, a nice, Christian, religious person, um, I'm going to be bored and probably boring. Honestly. And so... Peter had seen and he'd, he, some cool stuff and heard some cool stuff from Jesus already, but it hadn't reached him, not until now, not until this very personal moment when Jesus gets to him in a way that Peter understands. And I wonder, what's your boat? I wonder if you ever get personal with Jesus. I wonder if you, if you just ever have a conversation, you've ever just talked to him. Maybe you're walking, you're, you're driving, you're... you're you're, you're doing your job. I don't mean in a, in a formal religious way. I just mean that sort of, Jesus, here I am. Because I, I really believe Jesus wants to meet you right where you're at. Right in your boat. And then we should talk about this catch of fish. Right? At, this, at moments like this, you can't help but see that God has a great sense of humor. I mean, this is kind of funny, right? It's not just like, oh, good, we caught some fish. Well, we didn't catch fish all night. And now we caught some fish. I guess that was a miracle. No, the, the net has never been this full. The net is so full, not only can it not fit on one boat, it's sinking two boats. So now you're kind of excited and there's lots of yelling and, and, and you know, uh, just laughing and scrambling to get it all in. But at the same time, you're like, Oh, no, the boat's going to sink. I mean, it's just such this kind of excited panic. It's pretty funny, honestly. I think Jesus is a good sense of humor when he does that. But it also demonstrates, I think, the generosity of God. See, to Simon, this now is obviously a miracle. He knows his business. He's a fisherman. He understands this. And this cannot be explained away. And, And now... You know, Peter's response is anything but casual, right? He falls right to his knees. He says, get away from me. It's worship and it's repentance. I'm, I'm too sinful to even be around you. He recognizes in that instant, this is a miraculous God moment. And um, it reminds us of something else. It reminds us that God's kindness leads us to Repentance. The Apostle Paul wrote about this in Romans chapter 2 as well. But it's God's kindness that leads to repentance. I want you to try to imagine how you might have dealt with this situation, dealt with Peter, if you were Jesus. Okay, so you've, you've demonstrated miracles. You've taught deeply profound things. You've communicated in, in parables and stories that, you know, Peter could understand. You've healed his mother-in-law. Um, and like I say, really, that, that was a good thing. And, and yet, Peter still just seems so, I don't know, casual. And so, if you were Jesus, um, I mean, would you be tempted to sort of take him aside and say, Now, Peter, 
Listen, I've preached great sermons. I've done miracles. What's it going to take to get through to you? Right? Man, if you don't get serious, you're going to miss the good things I have for you. You know, Peter, when are you going to shape up your life, deal with that sin in your life, and start following me? Because if you don't get serious, there's some judgment coming, man. Now, how do you think Peter would respond to something like that? How do you respond when someone's mad at you? Not very well, right? Personally, I, I would not have thought to bless the indifferent, sinful Peter with a massively generous catch of fish. That would not have crossed my mind. Most of us um, have grown up in a system of what I would call reward and punishment, right? If you do good, you get good. If you do bad, you get bad. That's, that's just how it, how it works. Uh, parents, for example, like I know our job is to direct our children, to guide them into, into godly ways. But if our kindness is only based on their behavior and on their good behavior, it's not unconditional love, is it? It's a conditional love. If you're good, I'll love you. And if not, I'm going to withhold my love. It's not unconditional love. Um, conditional says, communicates, well, if you behave, I love you a little bit more. So that, so that we create this or we reinforce this system of reward and punishment. And, um, you know, what ends up happening is we, we strive for compliance instead of a mutually respectful relationship of good boundaries, um, a life of following healthy rules and guidelines in the home. Right? The other extreme would be all love and no boundaries, do whatever you like. I'm not advocating for that. But it's this sense of Jesus is inviting Peter into a, into a relationship, friendship, that's not based on Peter's good behavior. It's based on Jesus' love for Peter. So what happens, for example, in a reward and punishment situation, we might grow up thinking, man, when I misbehave, God's mad at me, and so I better shape up. But if God's mad at me, like I say, what do you do when someone's angry with you? You just want to push away, and so you go for greater distance. And God, oh boy, I'm a sinner. I better just stay way over here from God. And what happens? Now I'm further away from sort of the, the warmth of His grace and drawing in my life. So I end up pulling further away. And I end up pulling further All of a sudden I'm like way, I feel way distant and far from God. And it was all wrongly based on my assumption that because I misbehaved, God's mad at me. Instead of understanding that He loves and draws me into relationship. Because what happens when Peter does that? He says, oh, oh, I'm a sinner. I, I didn't really recognize that or I wasn't really willing to admit that until I got into the light of Jesus, until I got close. It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Instead of pointing out sinfulness, Jesus blesses Peter, demonstrates his power, his generosity. He lets Peter make the choice whether or not to humble himself in repentance. Peter sees who Jesus is and he can't help but fall down in worship. And it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Not our repentance that leads to God's kindness. It's God's mercy 
that leads to obedience, not my obedience that leads to God's mercy. It's God's favor that makes us righteous, not my righteousness that invokes God's favor into my life. Do you see the difference? Do you see what happens? The starting place and the finishing place? Jesus offers to be your friend because he is good, not because you're good. But in that process, he makes his goodness a part of your life. I'm just, I'm just astounded. Um, it's so hard for us to get this. We so desperately want to kind of earn our worth and earn our favor with God and earn our acceptability to God. And we can't ever do that. He says, come in close. Let me bless you. Let me be generous with you. And it is about properly recognizing, properly seeing Jesus. I mean, just think about about Peter in this moment, right? You're on the boat. There's hundreds of fish. They're just flopping around. Who catches fish here? Okay, some of us go fishing and never catch. Some of us actually catch fish. But you know that sense, the fish is in the boat and how it just flops around in there. It's just a crazy moment. Well, there's hundreds of them now and the buzzers are flopping around and it's just, it's crazy. And in that moment, somehow Peter has a revelation. He just sees Jesus completely differently. Oh, oh, wait a second. This is God. This is it. This is the Messiah. This is he's the one. And in that light, Peter can't help but see his own sinfulness and recognizes unworthiness. And just amazingly, Jesus does not reject him, but brings him closer. Peter finally saw Jesus. And I would say this, how you see depends on where you look, how you see depends on where you look. So um, I need just one volunteer to help me with this. You won't have to do anything but stand awkwardly on the stage. So, come on up, Val. Buenos dias. How are you today? Fine. How are you? Good. Thanks for helping me. All right. So. Nine, nine <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And where are they now? Home. Yeah. So, um, now, here's, here's the first thing. If I look to other people... Right. What's going to happen? So if I look to to Val here and I compare myself to him, one of two things is going to happen. Either either one, I'm going to look up to him. Right. If he's my standard of perfection and 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 achievement and and man, I just man, I'm just not like I'm just not like him. And man, I got so far to go. And man, if only I was a 49ers fan like he's a 49ers fan, then I'd then I'd be worth something. And if I'm comparing myself, if I'm looking up to someone, I've set the wrong standard because it's going to end in either discouragement, um, you know, or I'm going to be overwhelmed. I have the wrong standard and I'm still missing the standard of perfection. Right. The other thing that can happen. Can you take a few steps down? The other thing that could happen if I'm comparing myself, if I'm looking to others, I'm tempted to look down on him. Well, at least I'm not like that. (laughs) You know. I mean, I might be a lot of things that aren't perfect, but at least I'm not a 49ers fan, right? I might, I might look down and say, man, well, like, I've got some sin in my life, but, man, I've seen what that guy's like, right? Oh, man, I, I you know, well, my marriage might not be perfect, but I've seen his marriage. Whatever the relationship, and I, these aren't true things, I'm just kind of trying to make the point that if, I'm, if other people are my standard, I'm either going to find myself looking up or I'm going to look down on them, which leads to my own arrogance and cockiness, and I'm still missing the perfect standard. Thank you. You can take a seat. I have a friend who I was in high school with and 
played music together after high school and stuff. And, and uh, shortly after I, I mean, he got married young and, and moved off and, and, uh, and worked in, in department stores and stuff. And, and I always thought, man, he didn't go to college like I did. And, you know, he's really, I don't know if he's really going to really go anywhere, you know. So that sort of cocky arrogance of like, well, at least I'm not him. And the, the problem was he's just exceptionally good at everything he does. And, and turns out now my friend is um, on the upper echelon of one of the largest companies in the world in executive leadership. And now I'm here like, man, if I just had been more like him, right? Now if I, if I just worked as hard as he had or if I'd just taken the same opportunities, man, if I was just kind of had his good looks or if I had his money or if I had whatever, um, you see what happens? Either way, it's a wrong comparison. It's not helpful either way when we look at others and make them our standard. So where, how you see depends where you look. What about if I just look to myself? Surely that's safe, right? If I make myself my own standard, because, well, compared to myself, I'm doing pretty well, right? I mean, just think about that. Just think about that. So we will either, it's an illogical standard. So we'll either minimize our sin or we'll rationalize our sin or our behavior. We'll say, well, according to me, it's okay. So I think it's fine. Right? It's, there's, there's never any sense of, of, wow, I'm lost and I need to be found. Um, it's, it's, it's just choosing, for example, what God looks like or who God is or if there even is a God. According to me, by my judgment, hmm, okay, I'm going to choose that, that I don't believe that the Bible is true, for example. Right? Well, if, I, if I make some kind of standard assessment like that by my own standards, well, what's the problem? I can't know all there is to know. I mean, if the, pie, if the pie is this big and, all, and that includes all the knowledge in the world, I might have... If I'm super, super smart, maybe I have half of that knowledge. But I don't know what's in the other half of that pie. Maybe the existence of God, maybe understanding the reliability of the Bible is in that half. So it's, it's arrogant and it's unfair for me to make judgments based on things that I actually can't know for sure. Or don't know, I should say. So if I make myself my standard, I'm going to miss out. I'm going to fall short. And I'm going to be either, either really um, arrogant or really self-condemning, but either way, um, I can't get a proper estimate myself. Well, what's the third option then? The third option is to look to Jesus, as Peter was doing. Because if I can look to Jesus, the standard of excellence and perfection, I, I can come with true humility and say, oh, wow, compared to Jesus, I'm not even worthy of being in the same boat. Peter's like, Jesus, get away from me. I can't. I can't be around you. You can't, you shouldn't be with me. I'm going to mess it up, Jesus. How many times has somebody said, oh, I, I, I couldn't walk into your church. I, you know, the building would fall down. You know what the problem with that is? That's a very high self-estimation. That's estimating that your wrongdoing is so great, it can outdo the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Right? It's saying, wow, I'm so terrible, I can make buildings collapse. Wow. It doesn't work that way, right? If I can look to Jesus, I get a realistic picture. And I realize I can't trust my own righteousness, my own good works, my own 
good doing to be right with God. So I either look to other people or I look to myself or I look to the righteous standard of Jesus Christ. And it applies in all of your life. I mean, the question is, when you think about the different circles of your life, where are you looking? Think about your marriage, for example. Right? If you look at your spouse, guess what? Your spouse is not perfect and will at some point let you down. And so if you're comparing yourself to, well, oh boy, I need to be like my spouse or boy, my spouse just doesn't live up to my expectations... It's a, it's a fluctuating center to your, to your universe. It doesn't work. If you, in your marriage, if you look to yourself, you're just going to be an arrogant jerk. Sorry to say it. It's all about me and all about what, what I deserve and what should be coming to me. But if I look to Jesus, he's going to help me and teach me how to be a more compassionate, a more understanding spouse, a more faithful spouse. What about in my, in my parenting those of you who are parents who are raising kids, you know, if I look to me, it's all about me and what I get. And those kids should just really smarten up and do things the way I say them. And, and boy, if they just, if, boy, they've they got another thing coming. If they think they're going to get anything past me, I become the standard and it becomes harsh and judgmental and condemning. If I look to my kids, if that's where my eyes are fixed, well, I'm going to become totally child-centered, totally child-focused. I'm not actually going to be able to pour into the lives of things they need because it's all about them. I'm going to raise entitled, unreasonable children. But if I look to Jesus, Jesus, I need your help every day. How am I going to do this? And let the Lord teach you how to love him so you can love your children. You know, the John, Apostle John wrote in 1 John, he says, We love because he loved us first. So I can only love someone else properly when I first received Jesus' love. And how do I do that? By keeping my... Eyes on him. How do you how do you do that? I mean, how it just sounds kind of um, I don't know vague, doesn't it? Like, oh, look at Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And you want to say, Brian, Jesus isn't actually here right now. He's not physically standing here. I'm not in a boat full of fish. So I don't know what you're talking about. This sort of keeping my eyes on Jesus. Uh, there's a practice to it. Um, there's a it's a matter of being in the light of Jesus. Of, for example, learning to read the Bible and learn who was, who was Jesus on earth. But it's also that casual, informal, day-to-day conversation with him that I talked about. It's about being with God's people in places like this. In a small group. In a Bible study, perhaps. In a prayer, t- in a prayer group. Come to Thursday morning prayer, 9 o'clock, here in the library. Right? It's verbally reminding yourself that you are the righteous. Second Corinthians 5.21 says that, that Jesus became sin for us. Jesus, who never sinned, who knew no sin, became sin for us so that we, in exchange, could become the righteousness of God in Christ. Do you know that you can say, if you're faith in Jesus, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I am the right standing. I am in that place of approval with God. That's keeping your eyes on Jesus. I love how Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 Puts it. He says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Now, how do we do that? Verse 2, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. I'll tell you a little something. This isn't in the notes. Yesterday, 
um, Carrie Sue Brown, who sits over here, she's a running coach, and she's inspired a handful of us to, to start running and, and prep for a certain event. And um, I said, well, I'll ask my therapist if I can do that. And the therapist this week said, yeah, I think you could start training toward that. So those of you who don't know, I broke my ankle this last summer and kind of been slowly getting better. Well, we show up yesterday for our first kind of try it out around the track, see how we do run, right? So there was a champion of the run, similar to what, what he says here in verse, verse 2. Keeping our eyes, in this case on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. I had a running coach yesterday who initiated and championed my run. And because of that inspiration, I was able to finish that whole mile that I didn't think that I could actually do. That's the kind of, that's the kind of champion that Jesus wants to be for you. Jesus, I don't think I can do this. Jesus, I don't think I can love my spouse the way you want me to. Jesus, I don't think I can not drink again tonight. Jesus, I don't think I can not look at pornography again tonight. Jesus, I don't think I can not take what's not mine. Jesus, I don't think I can not lose my temper at work or at at home. And Jesus says, keep your eyes on me. You can. Keep your eyes on me. Watch this. I'm the one who initiated your faith. I'm the one who inspired it in you, and I'm the one who's going to bring it to perfection and completion. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the one who initiates and perfects our faith. And then Jesus looks at you, and I wonder what he sees. Well, he sees all the giftedness that he's poured into your life already. He sees all the plans and purposes he has ahead for you. He doesn't need to point out your failure because when you get close to Jesus... You recognize it already. Oh, yeah. And he says, come on. I'll take care of all that for you. I took that all to the cross already. All that's been paid for. All that wrongdoing. All that failure. All those mistakes. It's already been paid for. How you see, even how you see yourself depends on where you look. The last thing I want to notice here is that we need to acknowledge Something about Peter. And there was one thing that potentially held him back. And that was fear. The only barrier for Peter was fear. Isn't that amazing? That as Peter confessed his sinfulness, Jesus doesn't say, finally, boy, I was wondering when you'd notice. And I'm going to let you repent for a while and just see if you're really serious about this. And maybe you should repent some more. I'm going to wait and see if you're serious, Peter. Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't need to. He doesn't need to. The only thing that that Jesus corrects in Peter is what? Fear. Fear, don't be afraid. From now on, I'm taking you on a new track, on a new mission. I'm going to make you a fisher for people. Isn't that amazing? I mean, it amazes me. Why did Jesus need to rebuke Peter's fear? Well, because fear leads to doubt. Fear leads to hesitation. Fear leads to unbelief. Fear leads to self-righteousness. I've got to do this myself. Right? Fear, fear leads to, to a distance between God and myself. If I fear judgment, I'll hide. If I'm too afraid to trust in God for my salvation, I'll pull away and I'll become my own Lord and God. I can do this myself. Right? That's the child, the, the three-year-old stomped her foot. I do this myself. Because they're afraid to trust that maybe you have some good instruction for their life. 
If I fear I won't measure up, I'll actually act more arrogant to prove that I will measure up. No matter what kind of fear I have, it has a negative outcome. Fear has negative outcomes all the time. I mean, just think about it. And I wonder if you've got fears in your life that create distance between you and the Lord. Maybe fears that create distance between you and other people as well. I believe Jesus would say, don't be afraid. Fear not. And maybe you fear that you won't measure up. The truth is, you won't. Peter never did. Except by God's righteousness over him. Or maybe you fear that, that God won't hear you, but He does. Or maybe you fear that, that He won't meet with you when you go to talk to Him. And maybe you, you know that what your own sinfulness is about and you just want to hide away. But to you, Jesus says, don't be afraid. I've got a better purpose and plan and direction for your life. And I wonder if you could reject that fear and then follow Jesus instead as Lord and Master because, you know, something amazing could happen in your life. Something amazing could happen in your life. Peter and the others left everything to follow Jesus right there in the spot. You know, it applies to all of life, right? I mean, just think about that thing that you were afraid to do. My son, when he was in New Zealand this fall, went bungee jumping and I saw the picture and I got scared just looking at the photograph. Right. But now I can brag about him vicariously. I can live my life through him and say, wow, there's something about moving past the fear that allows us to do something, some things that are we wouldn't otherwise do. So Jesus says, don't be afraid. Come follow me instead. Who knows what he could make of your life? I'm going to invite um, Kurt, the worship team. Kurt, thanks for filling in again today. We sure appreciate it. I'm going to invite you to come and lead us in one closing song. And, um, you know, as we've kind of wandered through this passage, um, I would just want you to visualize Peter. In fact, let's stand together as we pray. I invite you just to close your eyes and just imagine with me for a moment as eyes are closed. You see that scenario, you see Jesus saying, Peter, let's go, let's go out in the water, let's go deeper and, and throw those nets out. And you're like, oh, okay. You're not really sure why and you're not really sure that you can trust Jesus and you don't really know what he's up to and you're not even sure that he is who he says he is. But you do it anyway. And you drop those nets. And suddenly... You're overwhelmed. And you see Jesus in a completely new light. And I would just love for you, as you kind of visualize Peter, just to think, what's my boat? What's my everyday place where Jesus wants to meet with me? And, and you recognize that, oh wow, this is a big deal. And Jesus says to you, don't be afraid. I've got a calling for your life. I've got a purpose for you. And can you look up at Jesus? Can you see Him? Don't, don't look at yourself. Don't look at your own grubby, fish-scale-covered hands. I want you to look at Jesus. I don't want you to look at the, the other guys in the boat or the other boats around. I don't, I don't want you to compare how you're doing with them. I want you to look at Jesus standing there on that boat saying, come, follow me. 
And what would that mean in your life? Can you trust Him that no matter where He leads, it's, it's going to be worth it? Father, I thank You that You've preserved this account for us. Pretty fun, exciting thing to read in Scripture. Jesus, I thank you that you revealed yourself in such dramatic fashion to Peter. I, I can just imagine there was so much joy in that moment. And I ask God that you would move us past the fears that we have. Move us out of that so that we could turn to you and trust you with our whole heart. 